Let's turn, if you will, to Micah. We want to look in the book of Micah tonight. And I really struggled over whether or not to do an overview of Micah or, you know, take chapter by chapter. And I, I feel like, I hope this goes well, I'm going to do an overview because that was the whole purpose of these minor prophets looking at them was to give you sort of an, a taste of the minor prophets and then hopefully some of you will run with it in your studies. I know we slowed down on a couple of them because some of the books are so big, but Jonah, he probably got the most there, four messages from the book of Jonah. But as we look at the book of Micah, very interesting book, and here's the title of the message. It's Micah's Messianic Messages. That's easy to remember, three M's. Micah's Messianic Messages. Now, the book of Micah does not just have Messianic messages, but it is, it is ramped up in the book of Micah. I mean, it is specific and very notable how Micah prophesies of the coming Messiah, which is about six or 700 years you know, coming in the future when he writes. So I want to give you a little background about Micah and then talk a little bit about the first chapter, and then we're going to hit the, the primary Messianic messages of Micah so that you can see just how big of a deal, they're all a big deal, but I mean, in this book, you have, it is so specific about the uh, Messiah that you can identify where he's going to be born when he comes into the world. That's major. This is, Micah is one of the key books that it's almost like irrefutable evidence that Jesus was the Messiah because it was predicted by Micah hundreds of years before the exact location where he would be born. So those folks in the days when Jesus was born had no excuse. This is how the wicked King Herod was even able to know where the king was to be born. And of course, you know how terrible that went when he slaughtered the, the boys and the baby boys in that, that area. So in the book of Micah, let's read, the word of the Lord that came to Micah uh, the Morashite, or the Morastite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jer Jerusalem. Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the word, excuse me, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down, and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft or cleaved in two, as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a, sleep, a steep place. It's a lot of visual imagery going on here that you can picture in your mind. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. Why is this happening? Because of Jacob's transgression. And for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So here we have in the first five verses a lot of information. And first of all, let's consider the background of when this was written. Micah was a, as it says, a Morastite, which that is believed to be an area on the border of the Philistines or of Gath. You'll see if you read it, you'll see that there's a reference to Gath later. And that's, you know, of course, where Goliath was from. He was a, a Philistine. 
So Micah is a, on a, he lives in a border town. He's a country man. We've seen some of, at least one of the, these guys that was a, a country farmer, a country man. So he is outside of Jerusalem, outside of the governing areas of the nation. And this is the time when you have an Israel up north and you have a Judah down south. This is the days of Isaiah. It's the days of Hosea that we've already looked at. He was a contemporary with these guys. So it's not like there was just one prophet for a number of years. You know, there were these prophets that overlapped. So God was sending multiple messages to the people, his people during this time, his nation. And so, as I said, you've got the nation of Israel up north and you've got the nation of Judah down south. Now, the kings that are listed there, it says he prophesied in the days specifically of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It's important to know who they are. Jotham is the grandfather, Ahaz would be his son, and Hezekiah would be the grandson. Three generations covered there through which Micah is prophesying. And a lot of the prophecy is warning and saying things like, the Lord's coming, the the judgment is coming, the chastisement of God is coming, you better watch out. And notice in this one, he is talking about Israel and Judah. So he's, he's addressing both of the nations and By the way, in the days of Hezekiah is when the Assyrians came, which is referenced in here. The Assyrians came and wiped out the nation of Israel. I believe that the nation of Judah lasted so much longer than Israel is because they listened to the prophets, or at least they did for a little while. So you you wonder, well, why did Israel go down so quick and, and Judah continued for another 150 or so years? I believe it's because they listened to the prophets. And this is one of the prophets that prophesied in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, I encourage you to go, when you see a name like that, Kurt, you say, well, I don't know what to study. (laughs) Well, go and read about, there's plenty of reading about Jotham, the reign of Jotham. And there's plenty of reading about the reign of Ahaz and the reign of Hezekiah. He's probably more familiar to us than those other two. But Jotham, interestingly, he was the son of Uzziah. Uzziah is the king that reigned for 52 years. And he was basically a good king, but he's the one that went into the temple and the Lord struck him with leprosy. You remember that? So you say, well, I don't remember that. Go read it. It's really interesting reading how he forced his way into the temple and then God, uh, God struck him with leprosy. And for the rest of his life, he had leprosy and had to live apart. And his son, Jotham, took over. And Jotham was a, basically a good king. He reigned for about 16 years. And then after Jotham dies, you have Ahaz, the son of Jotham, who reigned about 16 years also. You can read about him in 2 Kings 16. And Ahaz was horrible. He was awful. He aborted his own son. He cast his own son into the fire, to the fires of Baal for the the sake of, maybe you remember some of the stuff we talked about on Sunday. You know, they worshiped, uh, there was the fertility cults. They worshiped reproduction. So for the sake of that foolishness, Ahaz, the king of Judah, sacrifices, aborts his own baby. And he also, he he goes and visits a foreign king. And while he's there, he sees this king has an altar to his false god. And he looks at the altar and he thinks, boy, that's neat. (laughs) You know, remember, this is Judah with Jerusalem as the capital, the temple, all of the things that are going on there. And so, but he goes to this foreign king who is assisting him with something. And he says, I I like that. And he calls one of the priests and he says, get the measurements of that. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they build 
a false altar and they set it up right outside the temple. <laughs> Not only that, it says that in his days, he closed the doors to the house of God. All right, now, you can read about this, but I'm telling you this because I want you to see the background, the backdrop for what Micah is preaching to. Whenever Uzziah, the great-grandfather, was given leprosy as a, as a chastisement for doing something he wasn't supposed to do, okay, they stopped going into the temple. They stopped. They, it made them afraid. That's, that's not the reaction to have when something like that happens. They should have repented and said he never should have been in there in the first place. But because God struck him with leprosy, that great-grandfather, of course, he's got to be separate, got to be away from everybody, but they stopped going to church. All right? And then in the days of Jotham, that continued. They, they stopped going to church. <laughs> they stopped going to the temple. Well, in the days of Ahaz, he closes the door to the church. He Shuts the door and nobody can go in there because he's built his little altar outside, you see? So this is bad. They have the true worship of God and they're not going to the temple and they're shutting the door to the temple. Well, then along comes Hezekiah. Now, this is the son of Ahaz. And you can read about him. Lots to read about Hezekiah. Very interesting. And Micah is preaching and prophesying during the time of Hezekiah. It's important. He's the, Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. He reigns for 29 years. If you, you know, I, I say I'm not good at math, and I'm not, but I do like some numbers. You, know, you figure 52 years for Uzziah, 16 years for Jotham, 16 years for Ahaz, 29 years. I think that's well over 100 years of these kings reigning. You got a good king, a bad king, a good king, a good king. So during the reign of Hezekiah, you know what he does? One of the first things that he does is he opens the door to the temple. <laughs> he reestablishes the true worship of God. Now, he didn't do everything perfect, but I'm telling you right now, he got that right. He opened the door. He went against the will of his father, and he went against the will of his grandfather and his great-grandfather. And he opened the doors to the temple. So they start having meetings again. They start worshiping the Lord again. Why? You think it just dawned on him one day? I mean, it could. God could... God could give him an epiphany and he just said, oh, I need to open the door. I'm telling you, the reason he opens the door to the temple is because he's listening to the prophet of God. You see? That's so important to understand. You say, well, if we only had prophets today. Well, we don't have prophets today. But we do have these little people running around, these, these fellows running around, men running around, and they're called preachers. <laughs> and they're preaching. In a sense, in, in one sense, they're prophets because a prophet could tell you the interpretation of something. You see? They're not prophets. I don't mean preachers or prophets in the sense of predicting what's going to come down the road. Right? But the man of God today is the preacher who can tell you what the Word of God says. Are you listening? Are you listening to the Word of God? I hope so. I hope I'm listening to it. But it changed the course of this nation. The man, the king opens the doors to the temple. Everybody begins to worship again. Please go read that. It, it just excites me to read about the days of Hezekiah. When they had, that's the one, by the way, I think that's the one that I mentioned on Sunday where they sent out the letters. You remember they sent letters out and said, come to Jerusalem. Even if you're a foreigner, you're a stranger, come to Jerusalem. And most of the people just laughed it to scorn. They said, ha, that's not going to make any difference. Well, I tell you what, it made a great difference to them whenever they did it. And it says that there were those that came. That all happened in the preaching. I guarantee you Micah was standing by. He was standing by. And, this is great. This is good. We've got a king that is seeking the Lord. 
Wouldn't it be great if we had government leaders that were just constantly seeking the Lord <laughs> instead of seeking their own will and their own fame and their own fortune, seeking the Lord? I tell you, this country would turn around just like that. But it's not going to come from, okay, well, let's just have an epiphany one day. It's going to come from the preaching of the gospel. And I believe it's going to come from the preaching of the true gospel. You see? Not just any old Jesus. Not just some flim-flam Jesus. Not just some wish and wanting Jesus. But the sovereign ruler who it says right here in the days of Micah, he said, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and he will come down. You see? That's the sovereign God that we said. When you stir him up, you better watch out. <laughs> he was preaching to them, the Lord is not pleased with what's going on. So what was going on? Verse 5 says, What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? He's speaking to Judah. He said, You guys are doing the same thing that they're doing up there in Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. He says, What are the high places of Judah? You know, they got the high places up there in Israel. They're doing all this terrible stuff. He says, Well, we don't have high places down here. You know, we got the temple of God. He says, is it not the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? That was like an insult. That was like a slap in the face. So you see, they, they have taken on the characteristics of the, Isra the Israelite nation that's about to be wiped out. They're worshiping very similar to them. My goodness, one of the kings is even aborting his own son for the sake of that type of false worship. They're closing the doors to the temple, you see? Now, that's a great lesson for us today. You know, we, we have to live in the world, right? We have to. We have to make a living. We have to do the things that we do. But we don't have to live of the world. And we don't have to look like the world. You see, that's what Judah was doing. They were looking like the rest of the world, doing what the rest of the world was doing. I tell you, people say, you, you know, especially the young, a lot of times, you know, there's this rebel mentality. You know, like, I've just got to rebel. I mean, that, a lot of times it's probably the wrong way to say it. All the times, every young person goes through some type of rebel mentality. The sad part is when they don't come out of it. You see, everybody thinks mom and dad don't have a clue about what they're talking about. But, you know, my mom and dad just got smarter and smarter and smarter the older I got. You know, they used to be so dumb when I was young. <laughs> Sorry, mom. But you understand what I'm saying. You aren't dumb. But I, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what's good for me. But the older I got, you know, I, man, they're really smart. <laughs> He said, everybody goes through that. The sad part are those that don't get out of that. But if you want to be a rebel, if you, you say, well, I just got a rebel mentality. Be a rebel for the Lord. <laughs> you understand? Re be a rebel for the Lord and go against the grain of all the craziness that's out there in the world. Everybody says, well, I'm, I'm being a rebel and this is my thing or this is my thing or this is my thing. And it's just following along with the course of what Satan wants. You see? They're not being a rebel. They're following and conforming with the world. You want to be a rebel, you want to be a rebel against this world, then follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be, you'll be a true rebel. You know why? Because you don't belong here. See? Your citizenship is somewhere else. Oh, if God's people could just latch on to that. See? You want to be a true rebel, you want to be a true go against the grain, then follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Hezekiah, he was a true rebel. <laughs> He rebelled against what his great-grandfather his grand, and his grandfather and his father had done. He was a true rebel. So the prophecy that you read about all through here is, is Micah condemning the practices of the Israelites and of Judah. And in the days of Hezekiah, as I told you, that's when 
the Assyrians came up and wiped out Israel, and Israel's gone. Now, the Assyrians also came later to fight against Hezekiah. And this is, you can go read about the great deliverance that God provided in the days of Hezekiah. It's amazing, all because they were seeking the Lord. Now, if you look at verse 10, 8 through 10 of chapter 1, 8 through 10, he says, this is Micah speaking. He says, therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. Now, this does not mean that he took off all of his clothes. Although we have all had a good laugh when we speak of Saul, how the Lord made him take all of his. I believe Saul was stark naked. And and the Lord just made fun of him because of the way he was acting. But here is a man who's taking his outer garments off, which was very noticeable. You don't notice anything about anybody taking their outer garments off today. You know, I could take off my coat. You wouldn't think anything about it. Now, if I took off my shirt and I'm up here in my undershirt, you'd think, oh, what's going on with him? You know, most everybody's taking all their garments off today, so you don't really notice it. And that's sad, of course. But here is a prophet who takes his outer coat off and he goes around wailing and howling. He, he says, I will go stripped and naked. It also means he went barefoot, which was very unusual. I will make a wailing like the dragons. And that, that reference to dragons is probably to coyotes or jackals. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard coyotes yipping, yipping, yipping at night. It's noticeable. I've, I've heard a few coyotes yipping at night, and I thought, there's 400 coyotes out there. You know, you know, and then I'd go out, when I'd go out and hunt them, it'd just be two, you know. But, buddy, they can make a wailing, can't they? And so this preacher is saying, I'm going to make a wailing like a bunch of jackals or coyotes and mourning as the owls. That's a screech owl if you look at the definition of that. If y'all ever, if y'all ever heard a screech owl, it's terrifying. It's almost as scary as the beavers hitting the water with their tails at night when you're camping out in the swamp. It's terrifying. It's more terrifying than the beavers hitting their tails on the water. But this guy's making a ruckus. You see, because of what he sees the Lord is going to do, He's so moved by that. He says, for her wound is incurable. For it is coming to Judah. He is coming to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. The Lord's here. He has come forth. Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all in the house of Aphra. Roll thyself in the dust. Can y'all see that? <laughs> he's weeping. He's wailing. He's taking his outer coat off. And he's rolling around in the dust. Y'all say, this guy's crazy. He's lost his mind. No, not lost his mind. He's, he's just a preacher. <laughs> So sometimes you may look at the preacher and say, he's, he's so fired up. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. You know, he's, he looks like he's rolling in the dust. You know, well, it's just preaching is what it is, you know? And if the man is following the leadership of the Spirit of God, you shouldn't sit there and go, oh, what's wrong with him? You should say, amen, <laughs> you see? This man was making a spectacle of himself. You know, Paul said in the New Testament, we are fools for Christ's sake. You know, I sometimes think about that. You know, I, I, you know, I like to be recognized for this or that. We all do. You know, you did a good job here. You did a good job there. You know, but when it comes to preaching, you know, it's really a man making a fool out of himself for the sake of Christ. Get so pumped up and so excited and study the Word of God hour after hour after hour just to come and spend a few minutes and brag on the Lord. It just kind of sounds, from a worldly standpoint, it just sounds foolish. That's why God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to feed the people of God. It's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery that you would look and see this prophet with his outer coat off and weeping and wailing like a screech owl. Oh, oh, and he's rolling around in the dust. <laughs> he looks very foolish. 
but he's doing it for the glory of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that a preacher does that's foolish, it doesn't mean it's sin or if he commits sin or whatever can be for the glory of the Lord. It doesn't mean that. But this man's under the, under the tether, if you will, the direction, the reins of the Holy, Holy Spirit. So he delivers the word to them and he presents himself to them in a certain way. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, is he ever going to get to the messianic messages? Yes! In Micah the second chapter in verse 13, this is where he is continuing to tell them that the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. Israel is done for. Jerusalem is going to be done for too if it doesn't repent. And I want you to notice verse 13. This is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. The breaker right there is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you the definition of the word breaker. It means to break out. It means literally or figuratively to make a breach, to break forth, to burst out, to spread abroad, to disperse, to grow, to press, to scatter. You see, this breaker imagery that's given here has to do with a a nation coming against another nation and fighting against their wall of their city. And the breaker, I don't know, some of you may be thinking of the Lord of the Rings or other big battle scenes maybe that you've seen in some movies or read about or whatever. But, you know, I can remember whenever there were sieges going on, you know, they'd bring up this great, huge battering ram to break down the gate of the city so that they could penetrate and, and invade the city. And that's what that's a reference to. The breaker of the city is the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. He's not just talking about this, this nation is about to die. He's talking about there's coming a time whenever the breaker will come and he will burst forth. Not only will he burst forth on the scene. I mean, you think about it. When Jesus came on the scene, 30 years old, out of the blue, a nobody from a nowhere town. I'm telling you, he was the breaker. He broke down some walls. He broke down some gates. He broke down the world, if you will. And not only that, three and a half years later, when he goes to the cross, he dies for our sins and he goes into the grave. Can you believe that he's the breaker? He comes bursting forth from the grave. I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ is the breaker like you've never seen. The Lord also said this, the stone, he speaks of the stone that he is. The stone which the builders rejected would become the head of the corner. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the stone of God, the foundation stone, a tried stone. It says, he whom this stone falls upon will be ground to powder, but those that fall upon this stone will be broken. He's the breaker. I tell you, child of grace, when it comes to the sin of your life, if you fall upon the stone of God, you will be broken. And it's a good thing. You want to be broken up. You want to have that sin broken up in your heart when you fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you, if you don't repent and you don't turn, you're likely to be ground to powder by the stone as it comes down upon you again and again and again. You see, that's how the Lord works. He will not be mocked. He's the breaker. The next reference that you have to the Messianic prophecy is found in the third chapter. He says in verse 12 of Micah 3, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, because they were so bad, because they were so bad, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. He said, I'm going to wipe it out. Verse 4, chapter 1, but in the last days, 
It shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. What do you reckon he's talking about right there? He's talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the head of the church? It is Jesus Christ. You want to know who sits on top of that mountain that is the house of the Lord established in the top of the mountains? The pinnacle of the mountain is the head of the church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, some of you may be thinking over in the book of Hebrews, wherever he describes the church of God you see and it is a mountain it is established in the mountain of God it shall be exalted above the hills there's no mountain like the church of God there's no mountain like the one who sits as the king in the church of God Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways. This is a reference to the gospel going out into all the nations after the resurrection of the Lord. And we will walk in His paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, this is another reference to the messianic coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Micah 4th chapter, and let's look at verse 8. And y'all may remember a message that I preached a few years ago on the tower of the flock. He says, Thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The tower of the flock was a reference to a physical place that was just outside Bethlehem and the Bethlehem Ephratah that we're fixing to read about. The Bethlehem that was seven miles basically south of Jerusalem. The tower of the flock is the place where it is believed that the shepherds went from year to year. The best lambs came from Bethlehem and they would go into this tower where it was a safe place and there was a birthing floor inside that place where the little lambs were born. And if you came to Jerusalem and you needed to buy a lamb as they did three times a year appear for the feast in Jerusalem as we've been preaching about the God of the festival. If you came to Jerusalem and you you didn't bring your lamb from 100 miles or 50 miles away, you brought money to buy a lamb when you came to Jerusalem. And if you couldn't find a lamb, they'd say, go down there to Bethlehem, Ephratah. Go down there to the, and you'll see a tower as you approach the little village. And in that tower, just outside of town, is the place known as the Tower of the Flock. And it's where the best ewe lambs go. And they have these beautiful baby lambs. And the lambs that were born in the Tower of the Flock were the ones that were destined for the altar to be shed, to have their blood shed during all of those festive times of sacrifice. The Tower of the Flock... I believe, personally, I believe that's where Jesus was born. You know, we can't say for sure, but it's a pretty good indication that in the tower of the flock, when they couldn't find a place in the inn, there was no place to house the Son of God's birth whenever Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem. I personally believe that He was born in the tower of the flock. Some say a cave, some say a barn. Wherever He was born, I'll tell you this though, there's no question that there was a manger. You know, there was no question that there were animals. There's no question that there, they were in a place that was agricultural. They had cows and animals and they had sheep. I believe he was born in the tower of the flock. That's a reference to the messianic coming of the Lord. Notice it says even the first dominion. Y'all understand that there is, did y'all know, did y'all know that there is a dominion beyond the United States of America? Did y'all know that? The greatest nation probably that's ever existed in modern years, a thousand years at least, most powerful nation at one point that's ever been, did you know that there is a dominion that is even greater than the United States of America? Now, the way things are going these days is probably not that hard to believe. But the first dominion 
The first dominion is the Lord. You see, it's His kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom that is the first dominion. Don't ever forget that. Vote and be a good citizen and do the things that pay your taxes and do the things that good citizens do. But don't ever forget that the first dominion is the Lord's. And you're a part of that by the grace of God. Micah 5 and let's read verse 1 and 2. And this is the last messianic message that we'll refer to here tonight. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Of course, I'm sure you don't have much trouble figuring out that's a messianic prophecy right there. But look at verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of little Bethlehems and little villages of Judah, yet out of thee, this little bitty nowhere town, shall he come forth. Who is he? Shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel? God says, this is where my son will be born. You see, they knew where Jesus was going to be born. If you put the book of Daniel in the, in the mix, they knew the time, almost the exact time that Jesus was going to be born. They had absolutely no excuse. He says, out of these shall be come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. I tell you, that's poetic language, is it not? Thank goodness for the translators. Thank goodness for the way that they, they translated this, this language from the beautiful poetic language of Hebrew into this poetic King James language here that we have before us. His goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. You see, Micah is important. Micah not only prophesies of the breaker who will burst forth on the scene and, and doing things like have never been done before, resurrecting from the grave, uh, turning the world upside down. Not only would he be the breaker, and not only would be the, he be the mountain, the pinnacle of the mountain that would be established, not only would he come to the tower of the flock as the perfect lamb of God. There was all kinds of symbolism in that tower of the flock where the lambs were born. But he's going to be born in this little nowhere podunk town called Bethlehem Ephratah, south of Jerusalem. So whenever the wise men came in Matthew the second chapter and they asked, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod turned to the priests and to the scribes and he said, what, is, what does the word of God say? And the priests and the scribes turned to Micah the fifth chapter. And they looked and they said, it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem Ephratah. So Herod says to the wise men, go down to Bethlehem Ephratah. Give my regards to the new little king. Come back and see me whenever you have found him. And all the time, he's got murder in his heart. Murder. I'll show that little king, whoever this is. I'll show. And then when he realized the wise men had mocked him or had gone a different way, what does he do? He sends to Bethlehem Ephratah and the book of Jeremiah's prophecy kicks in where it says in Ramah, there would be a voice of lamentation like never before. Rachel crying and weeping for her children because they've been murdered by that wicked king. Isn't that amazing how all that ties together? I tell you, one thing I have learned through years of studying the Word of God is it, is it is so beautiful and it is so intricate and it's so glorious and it all ties together. <laughs> it's amazing. That's all we have time for tonight. I just want to mention this in closing. I may come back to Micah, I'm not sure. 
But those were the only messianic prophecies that I wanted to cover. But I will mention this to you in closing. In Jeremiah 26, years and years later, after the days of Micah, when Judah has gone into captivity, 150, 175 years later, when Judah is in, is in captivity, and they're discussing the, the leaders of the so-called leaders of Judah at that point, they're discussing whether or not to put Jeremiah to death. Jeremiah the prophet, the big book of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah lived on the edge. Now, let me tell you, you talk about a rebel. He lived on the edge and almost lost his life multiple times. But as they're discussing amongst themselves, should we kill him? <laughs> That's how bad they hated him for his message because his message was give up. If you don't give up and give in to the Babylonians, you're going to be destroyed. Now, who in the world wants to hear that kind of message? It was not a very happy message. But they're sitting there going, hmm, should we kill him? Should we not? So a few of the elders speak up in Jeremiah 26. And they say, while discussing whether or not to kill Jeremiah, they say, don't you remember Micah? <laughs> Do you remember Micah prophesied about Israel? And what happened? Israel was wiped out. They reference back to Micah and they decide not to kill Jeremiah. <laughs> They just basically say, well, let him preach on. And if he really is telling the truth, if he really is a prophet, then it will come true or it, he'll be a false prophet and it won't. Isn't that interesting? That Micah saved, in a sense, saved the life of Jeremiah years and years down the road. I hope that this piques your interest about the book of Micah. I hope that you could have hours and hours of study from what we have shared here in just 35 minutes. There's so much there, and there's so much we haven't even looked at. But that is an overview of the messianic messages in the book of Micah. And I hope that it's been an encouragement to us, and I hope that we see just how relative these things are to us today.